0: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician.
1: Today's program has been pre-recorded.
2: When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHTHD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. Radio.com station. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and welcome on this beautiful day, the last Sunday in March. My name is Marianne Ritchie and I'm your radio doctor. We'd like to revisit our discussion on colorectal cancer for several reasons. It's common, the numbers are rising, especially in young people, and it's preventable. Here today are three champions of prevention and early detection of colorectal cancer. First, you'll hear about the great work of Mr. Michael Sapienza, CEO of the Colorectal Cancer Alliance. Then we'll be joined by Mr. Steve Collis, Chairman, CEO, and President of Amerisource Bergen, the healthcare company which networks a supply chain with a global reach, yet he still finds time to work with the American Cancer Society and founded the Pennsylvania chapter of CEOs Against Cancer. Finally, a very special conversation with Mr. Joe Frick, former CEO and President of Independence Blue Cross, who will share the story of his battle with colorectal cancer. So let's begin. Mr. Michael Sapienza, CEO of the Colorectal Cancer Alliance, the largest and oldest national organization focused on ending colorectal cancer. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you, Marianne, for having me.
2: Well, we share the battle cry colorectal cancer. It's common, often deadly, but preventable. Now, you're a professional musician. What motivated you to become involved in this fight against colorectal cancer, Michael?
3: Yeah, thanks for that Marianne. You know, unfortunately my mom uh, was diagnosed when I was living in Miami Beach, Florida in 2006 playing with an orchestra called the New World Symphony. I was a trumpet player by training. And I remember the day my parents called me and they were both on the on the phone. It was a it was a Saturday morning and They said, Michael, we've hit a bump in the road. And I I knew something was wrong, not because they said a bump in the road, but because they were both on the phone. I would Mm -hmm. normally talk to one of them or the other. And my mom said, well, I went in for a colonoscopy yesterday, and they found a large mass in my colon. And, of course, Marianne, the first thing I was thinking is, well, what is your colon? (laughs) You know, I'm in my twenties and you're certainly not thinking about, about sure. that, but, you know, unfortunately very soon after I started doing my research and, you know, it was very, very scary. And, you know, to make a long story short, um, my mom unfortunately died on mother's day in 2009. Oh. Um, and, you know, I took that tragedy and really turned it into what I felt was a lack of awareness, a lack of research, a lack of screening, a lack, of of support for patients and their families um, and now uh, as you said we're the largest colorectal cancer advocacy organization in the world and and you know I I, I hesitate to say this but you know I, I took my mom's over my mom's uh, family business or one of my mom's businesses and in her right hand drawer Marianne was actually three screening tests they're called fit tests and none of them had been done And, you know, if she would have done that test at, you know, any age, but especially before she was diagnosed at age 56, she would probably be alive to have seen me get married, to see her other three grandchildren uh, grow up, etc.
2: I hear you. It really breaks your heart. And I think maybe our mothers were sisters because wild horses could not get my mother to get a mammogram or colonoscopy. And um, Mm -hmm. we lost her. Um, yeah. Michael, the mission of Colorectal Cancer Alliance it's to stop colorectal cancer in our lifetime. So what are the areas you're targeting?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So we we say it pretty easy. We say screen, care, cure. So when you talk about screening, you know, how do we make sure that patients, you know, and their families are screened for this disease? So we've launched public awareness campaigns. We've had Terrence Howard and others, you know, really speaking to, you know, different uh, populations in this country and making sure people get screened, that there's just that general awareness. You know, you think about breast cancer and, you know, pink is everywhere. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I don't need to tell you this, Marianne, but, you know, blue is not everywhere during March, let alone the rest of the year. So how do we make sure that people are talking about it? How do we make sure they're, you know, at the Thanksgiving Day dinner table, it's let's talk about colon cancer. Have you had your colonoscopy? Have you had your other screenings? You know, and then the second part is we try to navigate patients through that continuum of care, because one of the problems is people know, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to do that thing. And I know it's not very pleasant, maybe, but. But then they don't do it, and so we've created a navigation program to make sure they do. We're we're about to launch, uh, you know, programs uh, in Philadelphia that hopefully will dra- dr- you know dramatically increase the screening. And in terms of care, we actually have a helpline, we have financial assistance, we have a buddy program, we have a national conference. We help people with clinical trials and matching them with the right treatments. Um, and then we also fund life saving research, you know, mainly in young onset and health disparities and rectal cancer, and then we have lots of different kind of events and ways for people to get involved in the cause.
2: It's, it's so impressive to think that you've done all this in 12 years. I mean, some people spend a lifetime and don't accomplish what you have. And I know I'm bowled over by your website. It's so beautiful, and it's, it's engaging. I want to click on the different... Um, Invitations to learn about information, or I love the invitation to sign the pledge to get screened. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, last year when COVID started, um, I, I obviously don't need to tell you again, Marianne, but we saw this unfortunate decrease in the number, a number of people getting screened for colorectal cancer, and you Know what we said is we've got to do something about this, we've got to put out some PSAs or information to get people screened. And then we started producing this online navigation tool. And then this March, we said, Well, the pandemic is still happening, the decrease in numbers are getting screened is still happening. We need to get those people in to get their colonoscopies, get their fit tests, get their cola guards, etc. And so we launched this pledge in March to get screened. And, um, you know, Craig. Melvin and, and and others have really been helpful in, in getting this message out. But it's really all about, you know, as I said earlier, my mom was 56. If she had done her colonoscopy wow. when she was 50, she'd be here with us today.
2: Well, let's hear, we have about a minute and a half left. March 4th, F-O-R-T-H, meaning move forward. This Philadelphia Pilot, it's a project inside your national project. It's a plan to save 100,000 lives in the next 10 years, and Philadelphia, I'm a GI doctor in Philadelphia, it hurts me to think we have the lowest colon cancer screening rate of any major city in the United States. We're at 44% versus like 63, 5% elsewhere, and tell us why a large proportion of our population is at risk
3: yeah I you know there's a, probably a couple of reasons. I think you know it's a lack of, of awareness. I think it's probably some uh, systemic racism. I think it's uh, you know just unfortunate that there hasn't been the awareness like the, maybe that there has during was during the opioid addiction you know f- phase in, in Philadelphia and beyond. So you know we're really bringing kind of like a three-pronged approach you know one is how do we make more awareness so both on the, the television and you know in other places, Uh, bus places, etc. Then number two, how do we help infuse money, uh, you know, and funds uh, for navigation? And then three, can we provide free testing for individuals that are underinsured and uninsured? Mm
2: -hmm. Because we've learned that about 25% of Philadelphians live below the poverty line. And you're going to help to drive up those screening rates, Michael. And we know, on top of everything else, cancer doesn't stop during a pandemic. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to learn more about the CCA, Colorectal Cancer Alliance, to donate their time or money, they visit your website, ccalliance.org.
3: Yes, and thank you, Marianne, for having me.
2: Oh, thanks for all you do. I know your mother's smiling down on you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at your Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. Mr. Steve Collis, the chairman, CEO, and president of Amerisource Bergen, a global healthcare company that connects drug manufacturers to pharmacies and providers like hospitals, doctor's offices, to deliver crucial medications efficiently, reliably, and securely every day. Steve, you are one very busy man. Thank you so much for sharing your time today.
0: Hi Marianne, thank you for having me. I'm always happy to talk about all the good that Marisol Bergen is doing and, uh, and hopefully that we're putting out into the world. Thank you.
2: Well, so our listeners can grasp the network has over 1,500 pharmaceutical companies, tens of thousands of healthcare providers, and millions of units of medication shipped every day. So your critical role in the healthcare industry and supply chain, can you share with our listeners what you do as the leader of this global company, and then how your role may have changed or how your role worked during the pandemic?
0: Yeah, thank you. So uh, Amerisauce Bergen is a purpose-driven company, and, and let me tell you our purpose. Our purpose is united in our responsibility to create healthier futures. And the way that we go about that is through pharmaceutical-based care. So we like to follow the prescription dollar. So we don't manufacture, we don't do research, but we help uh, enable the supply chain. So we stock all the inventory of prescription products and related products uh, like the front store products that you'd see in a pharmacy, and then we do services for the, those physicians and those hospitals and those pharmacies that are, are dispensing those products. So, and, and we help manufacturers with, with, uh, uh, with access issues and with, with uh, life cycle. Uh, so, for example, if your product is going to become uh, biosimilar, We will help with that transition, and we'll help our customers contract for the new biosimilar. So that's one little example. And we have been very involved with specialty medications, which is a lot of cancer medications. And I know you have Colon Cancer Awareness Week this week, and uh, Mm -hmm. so that that is exactly in our wheelhouse. And we are so proud of our role in community oncology. That's one of the businesses that are foremost in our thinking about how we position Amerisource Perkins.
2: Well, and as a gastroenterologist for over 30 years, I trained at Memorial Sloan Kettering. We have seen so much progress, not just because of screening, but as you say, the therapies have helped so much to uh, bring about cures and prolong people's lives. And I think I know that you've had extensive preparations for public health emergencies, including pandemics, to avoid any disruption in that supply chain.
0: We, we um, you know, when the pandemic, it all happened so quickly, and you think back to March, it was such a confusing time, but we made some very sound decisions. And foremost among them was, let's keep our frontline workers safe. If we are not distributing products, our provider customers, the hospitals that rely on us, the pharmacies, the patients that we ultimately serve will be prejudiced or or, or not be able to get the medications they need so that was one of the great decisions we made we took the rest of the workforce and were very successful in doing that uh doing it from home and we've obviously made adjustments to do that Uh, but also we made sure that our customers so you know some of them of course were in crisis so they were trying to over order products and we said let us manage the supply chain sure. for you. We will do our best to make sure that no one runs out of products. And the products that were very important were basic infusion and intubation and uh, products, you know, that we used to keep people breathing. Uh, and we made sure that, that there was adequate supply and, and had very few, uh, very few missteps uh, going back to those, the early spring last year.
2: Well, you make a very good point that people might not consider because I we watch people go into stores and buy a thousand rolls of toilet paper and, and paper towels, and I, I guess you're right. I'm sure people were saying, hey, Steve, could you send me a few extra hundred you know, respirator tubes and that sort of thing? So that was a big mission that you accomplished as well. It's incredible. Now, I know um, you're passionate about patient care and, as you say, achieving healthier futures, and you're at the top of a pyramid With 150 offices around the world, more than 22,000 employees, which I know are treated beautifully. I already even heard, I read about Wally, the robot that keeps your um, work sites clean when employees are there. It's it's pretty incredible to keep it within the uh, pandemic standards. But you still find time outside of the office to live that same mantra in the community. You were the founding vice chairman of the American Cancer Society. CEOs Against Cancer, the Pennsylvania chapter. What does that role mean to you? And I'm sure you have a lot of proud moments. Tell us about well, that, if you would.
0: you know, we have two very large customers, uh, Express Scripts, the Pharmacy Benefit Management, and Walgreens. And on the same week, CEOs of both those companies called me and said, hey, Steve, we think you should start the Pennsylvania chapter of CEOs Against Cancer. And, you know, I said I'd, it would be my great honor and privilege. And I just finished a five-year term as co-chair and we had a a wonderful experience and my my great colleague gina clark has taken over my chair role uh and gina also heads up our foundation but we we really were able to achieve some remarkable things raising nearly 20 million dollars over the five years also uh, funding uh, about five million dollars of cancer research as well as helping employers think more about you know, cancer prevention, screening, uh, giving work days off to go get mammograms. Uh, so we, we really did, I think, some some important work. And it was, a, you know, a privilege to work with the Cancer Society, uh, people with Gary Reddy, who was the, the, the president, just recently announced his retirement, and and do some of these incredible things, including, you know, the Hope Lodge. That helps uh, local cancer patients who are, you know, getting getting treatments at, at Fox Chase. So we we, were, we are very proud of the work we did, and we, we look to do more of that. Um, you know, I, I also work closely with the International Wholesale Federation, and we are doing a lot of work in that foundation. I actually chair that foundation to help with supply chain awareness and hygiene and and, and good good uh, distribution standards around the world, and uh, that's that's the sort of work that really gets us excited. We, we love to do this. Uh, you know, we touch so many different parts of the healthcare ecosystem, and there's so much need in healthcare. Uh, you know, you, you, you think about a parent that's child is going through uh, pediatric cancer and, and the different financial needs they have. And we are so blessed to have great partners that we can assist uh, people in their time of great crisis and need.
2: It is beautiful work. And we know that your sense of philanthropy goes even further because I should have you back on another day just to talk about the work you do on the Board of Governors of the American Red Cross. But on top of that, I know that six years ago, you created the Amerisource Bergen Foundation, the company's first enterprise-wide nonprofit charitable organization. That played a big role in COVID-19. Could you tell us about that a little
0: yeah, you know, and it's interesting because I think the, the, the view of what a corporation, uh, how we think about our roles has really evolved. In the early part of my career, you might have talked about that, you know, corporations were there to serve the shareholders. And I think that in today's complex environment, that's just become too simplistic. And, um, you know, part of our evolved thinking was really the Marisols Bergen Foundation, really to help crystallize and focus the efforts of our associates that wanted to help. In in many areas, uh, you know, especially cancer, but areas like hemophilia and uh, multiple sclerosis, where we have also big uh, presences, big businesses that are helping the physicians uh, that that are prescribing and treating the, these patients. So the the foundation has really helped with so many of the good causes that we're involved with, but it's it's become a very high governance model. Um, and for example, in the pandemic, we have given out uh, over a million dollars in awards to help with, with COVID treatments. And here, yeah, just recently, uh, in the last few weeks, we've been announced a $700,000 award to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, uh, really to help with uh, prevent vaccine hesitancy and, and help with education around why vaccine vaccination is so important. So I, I am uh, proud of many things in Amerisource Bergen, but definitely the foundation is, is right up there with, with some of our incredible accomplishments over the last several years.
2: And I guess, as the sound suggests, if you're um, approaching boys and girls clubs, there are adults. It's not just boys and girls. And those, those younger people take the messages home to their parents. And um, well,
0: well, being, Yeah, sorry, Marianne. I just wanted to make that clear. I should have been clearer. We, we are uh, doing education at the centers. So it's around so that the centers are educated to help the population uh, and, and also the parents, uh, exact. so not only the kids, but the parents as well.
2: Mm-hmm, exactly. And um, and sometimes it takes a child to get their parents to listen. So if somebody wanted to learn about the foundation, what website would they visit, Steve?
0: Uh, uh, Marisol's Bergen, go to Marisol's Bergen and click on uh, there's a special dedicated site for our foundation. And we also have, um, we also have uh, uh, in, in, our, in our governance committees uh, we have uh, uh, an environmental scan that talks about all the work that our foundation and we're doing uh, around uh, sustainability and inclusion. So uh, y- you'll find very good information there. And uh, I'm proud of the way our communications team has stepped up during the pandemic to make the good works uh, much more accessible for the public.
2: And and I know that we often hear the, the newer term corporate social responsibility because you, as you already mentioned, you're doing the thinking. You're not just uh, providing medications, you have to look at the whole chessboard and say, we can't give all our supplies to Pennsylvania because we might need more in Ohio. And And, and looking at that whole web of of planning, is it's incredible to me. So your website is Amerisource, for our listeners, A-M-E-R-I source, S-O-U-R-C-E, Bergen, B-E-R-G-E-N, all one word, no spaces, AmerisourceBergen.com. And Steve, even through the pandemic, sick patients could focus on getting better because your leadership assured them that critical chemotherapy and all medicines would be delivered on time. And for that and all you do, we thank you and hope you'll come back to meet with us again later.
0: It was a pleasure uh, meeting you again, Marianne, and thank you for your thoughtful and uh, provocative questions. And uh, uh, thank you to your listeners for paying attention to us. I appreciate it.
3: Stay well.
1: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
2: And welcome back. This is Marianne Ritchie, Your Radio Doctor, with a big welcome. To my friend, Mr. Joe Frick, a longtime, highly respected member of the Philadelphia business community, has held countless leadership positions, so many awards. He's been the chair of the Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce, currently a senior advisor to Diversified Search, an executive search firm where he formerly was the executive vice chairman. But our story begins when Joe was the CEO and president of Independence Blue Cross, the largest health insurer in the Philadelphia region. Millions of members, thousands of employees. Joe became the CEO in 2005. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for joining us,
1: Marianne. It's a it's a privilege for me to um, to be with you um, on, on this broadcast. Uh, you know how much I admire you and, and admire your work and your leadership. Um, you've devoted your career um, to uh, improving health in the Philadelphia region, particularly women's health, and. Um, uh, I share your passion and commitment, but uh, you do it with a flair and a commitment that uh, that that few do, and, and so thank you for that.
2: Well, thank you for saying that, Joe. We start your story in 2007, and you were at the pinnacle of your career, two years into being CEO at IBX, and it was easy as a busy person to put off your your own colon cancer screening, and... Something moved you to get your screening test. And a few days later, you were doing a big presentation and you saw your phone light up with your doctor's name. What did your doctor say when he called you that day, Joe?
1: Well, yeah, Marianne, um, I, I had my um, colonoscopy on uh, April twenty-eighth, two uh, 2007. And a few days later, uh, my physician called. After the colonoscopy, he said everything was fine. and. Um, Came through the procedure really well, but uh, I wanted to check a few things out. But what he was saying to me and what I saw in his eyes were two different things. So I was pretty, so I was pretty nervous, which is why I excused myself from the meeting. And and uh, he just informed me that um, um, I had colon cancer, and uh, um, I was uh, dumbfounded and and um, uh, harkened back because. You know, I became CEO in 2005 um, after, um, you know, our, our iconic and transformative leader, Fred DeBona, who was such a mentor and valued friend of mine, um, lost his heroic 18-month battle with kidney cancer. And um, it was surreal that, you know, two years later, um, our organization would need to be going through, uh, you know, a cancer journey again. And uh, I'm sure I was uh, shocked, but uh, I also thought I was too busy for cancer. And uh, uh, my physician uh, steadfastly said, Joe, you don't understand. This is your full time job now. And uh, you, you need to pursue this as the fight of your life.
2: Well, but you know, you, you can't beat yourself up because you were feeling fine. And I think that's the insidious nature of colorectal cancer we don't feel it and it's totally understandable that um, we can delay the whole process of the prep and all those fun things but tell us about your treatment joe i know you had surgery and then very aggressive chemotherapy
1: well i mean first of all marianne i you know i appreciate you saying that but i was late with my first colonoscopy um you know, and, and, and now we're urging people to even get screened um, earlier than age 50. And we have uh, a number of different screening techniques and modalities that are less invasive that people can, can take advantage of. But, um, you know, so I was late, I should have been screened earlier, um, because, you know, my diagnosis was stage three and, um, high risk and uh so uh, you know I did I I did have a colon resection and and I had um 6 months of um of pretty aggressive biweekly um chemotherapy um oxaliplatin and uh 5FU and uh it was very debilitating to me um physically I believe I lost you know 50 pounds in the first 90 days But you know, through that treatment, although I was frail and weak physically, I never felt stronger and better um, and more grounded and had more clarity uh, emotionally, spiritually, uh, mentally um, than I did as I was going um, through the treatment because I met and interacted with so many uh, heroes, um, clinicians, administrative staff, friends, employees, who lifted me up during my treatment. And that's my biggest learning in our uh, global fight against cancer, that there is such a community of allies that we call it as CCA, who support and love and um, um, keep people um, um Moving forward as they as they battle this difficult time in their life, and the the, the employees at IBC and the broader Philadelphia community was um, extraordinarily uh, beneficial to me in their love and support. I'll never forget well, it.
2: Well, they embraced you, Joe, the way you have always embraced other people, and we had a beautiful conversation the other day, and you said that it changed your perspective on work. But I think that was always in you, Joe. I I mean, I I told you the first time I met you, I walked in, it was like we were friends forever warm and engaging. Mm -hmm. Let's work together. And you're a facilitator, you bring people together. It's very obvious. And I know that you joined the CEOs against cancer. We just talked to Steve Collis from America's Bergen. And thank you, Steve, for starting the Pennsylvania chapter. How did that help you face your diagnosis?
1: Well, thank you for saying that, Marianne. You know, I I do feel maybe it's my human resources background, but I do feel like I've been a fairly grounded and people centered uh, person throughout my life. But I think my cancer diagnosis um, gave me such a heightened sense of uh, purpose and passion and the need for partnering and a sense of urgency to not waste a minute, to not waste a day. In our meaningful and important work in healthcare. And so I got the CEOs Against Cancer after first uh, being blown away by the work uh, that the coaches versus cancer have done. You know, Phil Martelli and Fran Dumphy, and using their platform of coaching and their visibility to raise tens of millions of dollars um, to fight cancer in our region. And, and, I said boy if these coaches can be such extraordinarily effective champions and ambassadors and impactful leaders in the fight against cancer we as ceos can do the same by creating a culture of well-being in our workplaces and to raise money to fund research and um the coaches touched me greatly and it's ironic uh, phil phil and i had a very meaningful text exchange this morning after uh, Michigan's win last night to get them into the Sweet 16. And he continues to be someone that uh, I admire and learn from every day because of, like you, his passionate um, uh, approach to people-centered servant leadership.
2: Well, and I think, Joe, we know that studies show that many people who have cancer, even if they uh, recuperate pretty fully, don't go back to work. Not only did you go back to IBX as the CEO and and running that huge uh, business, you took time to extend yourself even more and join the the or help start the colorectal cancer alliance and really get the word out because your message that you want to share with listeners is
1: well. First and foremost, um, I firmly believe that that all of us. Uh, need to take good care of ourselves so that we can be better for others. Um, well said. And since colon, colon cancer is the most preventable of all cancers, and over 50,000 people die needlessly every year of this disease, it's, a, it's an imperative, a community-wide imperative, Um, for folks to get screened. Our loved ones are depending on it. Um, They're counting on us. And uh, there's so many more memories for all of us to make. Um, This is a preventable disease. And, And in this month of March, where we raise awareness against this disease, please, please get screened.
2: Well, you shine with gratitude, Joe. And I think, as you say, you can take care of other people unless you take care of yourself. Plus you can't fight that battle alone. and It just shows, your gratitude shows in what you're doing now to help other people. Thank you for joining us, Joe. Stay well.
1: I will, and and, uh, thank you for your leadership. It it means a lot to me and countless others.
2: Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA. 1-888-RECOVERY. In our final segment, as your radio doctor, I'd like to share some pearls of wisdom, very important facts about colorectal cancer. First, how do we prevent cancer? Well, if we know a cause, like cigarettes cause some types of lung cancer, don't smoke and you decrease the risk for lung cancer. That's primary prevention. But we don't know what causes colon cancer, so we depend on secondary prevention. We look for patterns like a rise in cases in our 50s and a screening test is one that's done in people who have no symptoms. We look for precancers or even early cancer when it's more treatable. Think about it. Other screening tests like mammograms find early cancer. Colonoscopy finds and removes precancer. Ding, ding, ding. What could be better? Colon cancer is common. Number two cause of cancer death. In fact, more people die of colon cancer than breast cancer when we combine men and women. Look at it this way. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer, one in three people over 50, one in two people over 60 will develop colon polyps. Look around, your book club, the gym, your office, half the people over 60 will have precancerous colon polyps. Now most polyps do not become cancer, but all cancer begins as a polyp. A polyp is a little bump in the lining of your colon that you can't feel. So how do you know it's there? You get a screening test. With colonoscopy, we find polyps and remove them before they turn to cancer. Blood is food for tumors. So if there's a cancer in your colon, it may trickle blood. A stool test looks for the hidden blood. If it's positive, we do colonoscopy to check for cancer. It's helpful in finding cancer, but it misses most polyps. So it's only good for average risk patients, not if you have a personal or family history of colon polyps or colon cancer. But in the end, the best screening test is the one that gets done. Know your family history. Family history of colon polyps is important too, not just colon cancer. I often ask a patient, your parents, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, does anybody have colon cancer? Oh no, doc. Well, how about polyps? Oh yeah, but they were benign. Colon polyps add to your history. So if you have a first degree relative, a parent, a sibling, or a child with colon cancer or polyps, and they're under age 60, your screening starts at 40. If you have two or more close relatives of any age, colon cancer or colon polyps, your screening starts at 40. Then if you have colonoscopy and no polyps are found, but you have that family history of cancer or polyps, we don't wait for 10 years, you come back in five years. So when you gather for Easter, Passover, Thanksgiving, family reunions, Ask your relatives about colon cancer and colon polyps and all cancers. If multiple members are affected, you may need genetic testing. Now, if a woman has uterine cancer under age 50 or ovarian under age 65, up goes the risk for colon cancer. In reverse, colon cancer at a young age increases a woman's risk for gynecology cancers. The risks of colon cancer and gynecology cancers are interrelated. Get your checkups. African-Americans are 20% more likely to be diagnosed, 40% more likely to die from colon cancer. And there's been a noticeable rise in young people under 50, even under 40. So the American Cancer Society and other national GI societies now recommend African-Americans begin screening at 45. And there's a national movement to begin all people being screened at 45. Please hear this message. In the pandemic, routine screenings were put on hold. American Cancer Society estimates between March and June alone, 18,000 cases of colon cancer were missed or delayed. Promise yourself, I will get screened for colorectal cancer. My family and friends need me.
1: Now, your real champion. Presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute.
2: now, for your real champion, I call this segment, Follow the Leader. Earlier we heard the story of Mr. Joe Frick, a highly respected business leader who spent his career providing health insurance and accessible care for the greater Philadelphia region. In 2005, he became the CEO of Independence Blue Cross and filled the shoes of a successful mentor, Fred DeBono. They both shared a vision to move the company forward. Joe was a very busy man, so it was easy to put off his colon cancer screening because he felt fine. Well, something finally moved him to have colonoscopy, and a few days later, while Joe was giving an important presentation, his doctor's name lit up on his cell phone, so he left the meeting. The biopsies from his exam showed cancer. He had to process that news, and when he asked what it would mean, his doctor said, it means now your full-time job is going through the treatment to fight this colon cancer. In an interview some years later, Joe recounts that shortly after hearing the news, he drove to pick up his daughter at the end of her first year in college. Instead of giving her a big hug and saying, I'm so proud of you, he said, Kate, I have cancer and it's pretty serious. She sobbed during the entire two-hour ride home. She even went with Joe to share the news with her grandparents. Joe wondered if he'd ever see her graduate or give her away as a bride stage 3 colon cancer at age 55. After surgery, 24 weeks of aggressive chemo, he lost 55 pounds in 90 days, but now he saw his company through the eyes of a patient. He turned to God and said, what are you saying to me? But with time, he realized the experience was a gift that brought a new perspective. He felt healthier physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and a little more even-keeled. Studies show that many cancer patients of working age never return to work. But Joe is a servant leader. This major health crisis actually brought more clarity. He questioned why his treatment was successful when so many others don't survive. But then he knew it was a sign that he had more work to do. It fueled him to a new level of commitment, helping everyone to access affordable health care and develop a culture of wellness and support, even in workplaces. By good fortune, Joe is now 13 years past his diagnosis. He faced his own mortality and accepted the challenge. And yes, he was there to walk his beautiful daughter up the aisle on her wedding day. He continues to find strength in his faith and joined a men's prayer group that meets every Tuesday morning. And when he's having a bad day or a worry, he puts his hand in his pocket and feels a little pouch which contains religious articles and pieces of get-well cards he received while he was sick. It's there to remind him what's really important. Joe is a champion in so many ways. He's warm and engaging, but it takes a real courage to open your diary and share your challenges and fears with the public. He knew it would help other people. So he's a CEO who had cancer, who works with CEOs against cancer. A big lesson for Joe, we think we can tackle problems upon our own, but we need to rely on other people for help. Joe's is also a story of gratitude. He's grateful for his second chance in life. He's grateful for his parents who worked hard to give their three boys great education. His years in Catholic school and college at Notre Dame imbued him with the values that formed his sense of purpose and mission. And in February, he showed that gratitude at the bedside of his father in his final days when they whispered the Our Father together. Joe's battle cry now? Get screened. You have to take care of yourself before you can help others. We salute you, Joe Frick, your real champion. Before we say goodbye, I'm excited to share some very important news. For the past eight years, I've been the director of the Blue Lights Campaign. Each year in early March, Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, I get over 30 buildings in Philadelphia and beyond to shine in blue, reminding people to get screened for this preventable cancer. For the past five years, that has included our Pennsylvania state capitol. Thanks to State Representative Maria Donatucci for helping the first few years, and now State Senator Michelle Brooks for continuing the annual tradition, arranging for our Pennsylvania Capitol to shine in blue for the entire month of March, which she announced in the Senate this week. But why stop there? Colorectal cancer is a threat in every state. This year, I asked for the help of Lieutenant Governor Fetterman of Pennsylvania, and Lieutenant Governor Griffin of Arkansas, and this bipartisan team sent my request to all Lieutenant Governors to light their Capitol buildings in blue, too. On March 25, I received word that the National Lieutenant Governor Association has recognized this as a national campaign, and every state Capitol is invited to shine in blue during March, joining the effort to conquer colorectal cancer. You can join the campaign with a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send us a photo of your blue lights to info at bluelightscampaign.com. Tune in through April. Learn about foot care, Barrett's esophagus, and obstetrics and gynecology. Check out our website, yourradiodr.net. While you're there, sign up for our mailing list. Send us your comments. Tell us about a champion. Wishing everyone a happy spring, a time when we celebrate new life, flowers blooming, starting over. Well, our family has a real joy to celebrate. Last Monday, we welcomed our new little grandson, Everett Andrew. We thank God for his safe arrival. Mother and baby are both healthy, and we're so happy for Andrew and Nicole, who will be outstanding parents. Happy Passover, and as you prepare for Easter, stay tuned and maybe Frank Sinatra will sing about the Easter parade. And as you tiptoe through the tulips, always remember that your health is your wealth.
1: Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.